so we're going to be continuing um, working through the story of this, this man. We've called it uh, the story of Abraham. But if, you sm- if you've been kind of watching that reading, right at this point, he's called Abraham. There's no H or second A. It's simply Abraham. And uh, we'll find out in a few weeks' time why it's Abraham on the screen and Abraham in our reading here. But at this point, uh, the man is Abraham. And really, following on from last week where we got a bit of a background, want to think about this week two things, silence broken and preparation. Silence broken and preparation. Let's think of the preparation first. Those of you who are into, uh, I think it was probably kind of 1990s movies, and if I did that, followed by that, some of you have got it. Others are thinking, what is he on about? But having watched um, Taekwondo, it's not Taekwondo, it's actually karate. Those of you who know anything about films of the 1990s and Karate Kid will remember Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi was this kind of ethereal oriental kind of uh, karate teacher who was teaching young Daniel uh, how to um, prepare himself for uh, great exploits in the world of karate and it was wax on wax off if you remember wax on wax off and Daniel was thinking all of this is just rubbish I'm here to learn karate and you're treating me as slave labor as you're putting the wax on the car taking the wax off the car it's just wax on wax off in actual fact without Daniel realizing it what was going on is that Mr. Miyagi was drilling into him two of the key blocking moves apparently in karate so uh, you know that's one blocking move that's another blocking move don't mess with me at the end (laughs) that's about as good as it gets but you know that's interesting isn't it Daniel as that young guy he's not realizing at that point in his life he's doing things that are going on which is just boring repetitive grind type slave labor work cleaning the car whereas what is actually going on is drilling in absolutely key preparation in his young life for the future. That's precisely what we see in our reading this afternoon, at least in the beginning. We see, as if we can get that up on the screen, we can see that uh, there are two things go on. At the back end of chapter 11, we see that Terah, he's the son, uh, takes his son, rather, Abraham, Abraham, So we've got these two men, this is, remembering last week, this is a new introduction, a new chapter, if you like, in the book of Genesis. Terah is a man with a son called Abram, and he takes Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans to a place called Haran. As we read it, they initially are setting off from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Now, as we move from chapter Uh, 11 into chapter 12 we get a little bit more information about that move we've got if you like imagine the scene we've got um, the kind of incredible metropolis 
of the ancient world, which is Ur of the Chaldeans. It future, it, in the future, it becomes Babylon, one of the greatest nations, empires that the world had seen up to that point in time. We've got uh, Terra living in this metropolis, leaving the metropolis, and heading out on a journey across the wilderness, firstly to a city called Haran, which was a, an incredibly important trading city. Again, it was probably a bit like, um, I guess, like moving from, from London to Leeds. And if you imagine London to Leeds and there was nothing in between, it was pretty much wilderness uh, and tiny little villages. That's the kind of transition that was taking place for Abraham and Terah as they as a whole family uprooted themselves from one place to go to the next place. As we move into chapter uh, uh, 12, we see this. We get an extra little bit of information. The Lord had said to Abraham... Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now if we connect that, remembering we, we, we see it here, uh, we've, got verse, we've got chapter 12 and verse 1, we can see it on the screen there, reminding ourselves that the ancient text didn't have those chapter separations. We've got a continuous story here. We've got the story building up, giving us little bits of information step by step. It's not clear, really, whether Abram received that message while he was in Haran or while he was in uh, of the Chaldeans. There is some debate around those two points, is it? Did God speak to him in Haran, once they'd made an initial move, or did God speak to them in Ur? I've got my own perspective on that, but what I would say is to some extent it doesn't matter. Because this is the big message that we see here. There are big changes that are going on in this man's life. He's a man with a family, they've established themselves as a family. If you like, they've established themselves as a wider family. They've got Tara, they've got Abram, they've got um, his nephew, Lot. They've become a family and they've established themselves in one city and now they are moving. That's a dramatic change that is taking place. There is a preparation that is going on. There is a move that is taking place. My perspective is I think that probably God spoke to Abraham while he was in Haran. Because it's see, we see here that terror is moving his family. So Abraham goes with terror. That's what it says. Abraham goes with terror. Terror moves to Haran. It's a strange move. But what we actually see as the story unfolds is that what is happening at that point in time as a family moves from one place to another, step by step, is that behind the scene, but invisible to those who are playing the part at that point in time, unbeknownst to terror, is that God has got his hand on this family and is moving them from one place to the next, to the next, step by step. There is a bigger task going on 
than even they realise at that point in time. That's massively important. There is a preparation that is going on for Abraham at that point in time, which is completely surprising to him. He doesn't know how big this is going to be. But for God to do the work that he is going to do, he needs to move Abraham from Ur, and he needs to move Abraham from Haran. And that's the key. God is doing something when one family is getting on with life. I remember um, we got married, and um, I was working at the time in, in Birkenhead on the Wirral. And uh, the next job that I got was in Bolton. And those of you with kind of any sense of geography, it's a little bit further along the um, M62. I was working in Bolton. The next job that I got, it seemed, was in Oldham. I was traveling from Liverpool to Oldham. It's a bit further along the M62. And um, the next job that I surprisingly got was in Whitley Bridge, just a bit further along the M62 from here. It's as though, as we look back now, we didn't realize it at the time, but as we look back now, we realize that God was moving us little by little and then saying, okay, look, now listen. Are you going to listen to me? I've moved you from Bolton to Oldham. I'm going to move you so far that you can't make this commute anymore. You are going to move. That was our own personal experience. But I am sure that for many of you, you could reflect on just the same kind of situation when you look back. And if you can't do that at this point in time, let me assure you that as your walk through life develops, as you are able to look more and more back on life, as you have more of a store of life's events, you will begin to realize that there are things that are going on now in your life that at some point in the future it will become clear to you that there is something that has been going on that at that point in time you were never aware of. Because that's what God does with us. Oh, the love that draws me we've just sung. We've just sung about a God who is purposing activity in our lives, who is moving us from one step to the next. It might be geographical, it might be situational, it might be relational, however it might be, those different aspects of our lives, there are things that are going on where God is moving us. Now at some point in time there is going to be a crisis in that. There is going to be the point in time where we realize that what God is doing in our lives is making demands of us that are surprising. There's going to be a point of crisis where our desires meet a point of conflict with his desires and will. And maybe you are at that point in time right now. Maybe you realize, I look back and I realize, you know, it is absolutely incredible that I personally am found in a place like this on a Sunday afternoon in what people call a church. That is just the furthest thing from anything I would possibly have been doing in my life. And then you realize when you look back that there are a series of events that have brought you to this point in time in your life that have brought you to this point in time in your own personal experience, where you are realizing, as we read here, God speaks. 
Because that's what happened for Abraham. God speaks. All of a sudden, it becomes clear to you that the events in life are not all about me personally, not about the decisions that I'm taking, but are actually about God working out in my life a pattern and a pathway where he breaks in with absolute clarity and says, now I'm going to make it clear. And I'm going to make demands of you. And I'm going to call you. And I'm going to reshape your life beyond any thoughts that you had. And God speaks. Because that's the kind of God that the Bible displays to us. We do not have a passive God. We do not have a God who is just distant out there, just kind of thinking, I hope this all goes well. We have a God who is engaged, and that's what we see in the life of Abraham. We see a God who is moving the events step by step. And then we read in verse 1 of chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abraham, he speaks. That is one of the most, we just read it, don't we? we for those who've read the Bible fairly regularly, we just gloss over that. God speaks, yes, yeah, so what? That is mind-blowing. God has not engaged with anybody. God has not spoken into the world for around about 300 years. Humanity has been getting on with it, if you like. There has been little interspersions. There has been a continuous stream somehow of people who are connected to God in one way or another. But at this point in time, we realize that the next stepping stone is ready for God to slot into place in the history of the world. And God speaks. That is remarkable. That's how God works. There is the occasional intervention which is, did you ever want, have, have you ever been taught something or, or had a teacher at school or learning something outside of school where you've had a mentor or a teacher who says next to nothing? They almost, are you teaching me? <laughs> but then every now and then they say something or they intervene just on the odd occasion and their intervention is so dramatic that it makes all the difference. You're learning a new skill. And they make one sentence comment. And it makes all the difference. And you move on in leaps and bounds. That's what we see here. That's how I've experienced. And I know that's how many other people have experienced. How God has worked in their lives. It is not generally a continuous stream. For many of us it's just that moment of. Whew, now I get it. And I am on to another gear. And I'm moved in another direction because God speaks in that way. So we see preparation that is going on for this man. It is remarkable preparation. We see it more actually in one of the uh, later books in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. This is what it says right at the end of Joshua as it, we're reflecting back. On some of the history of God's people it says this. Long ago your ancestors including Terah. This Terah. The father of Abraham and Nahor. Lived beyond the Euphrates river. In other words here's a little bit of extra information. Way back your, your ancestors they were outside of this land. And they worshipped other gods. Isn't that remarkable? They worshipped other gods. Terah was not a worshipper of the God of the Bible. 
He was a worshipper of other gods. In fact, his name means sun worshipper or something along that line. This was God intervening when it was least expected in the mind and in the heart and the activities of a man who would play, without him even realizing it, a key part in God's strategy in this world because he was the father of Abraham. Preparation that was going on. Secondly, we have a most remarkable call. Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. That just didn't happen. The way to stay safe in the ancient world was to stick with your family, to build a bigger and bigger and bigger family. We're not talking about a world that is massively populated. We're talking about a world which is relatively, uh, well, a very small population. And so the way to stay safe, the way to stay secure, was to stay amongst and with your family unit. Grow your family unit. Build it, build it, build it. Create from a family unit, a village. Create a greater and greater security. And God says to Abraham, or Abraham rather, God says to Abraham, let go of that. Let go of the security that is normal for your culture. Let go of the security that you would naturally hold on to. Hold on to. Let go of that. Leave your family. Leave the kind of protection because I will become your protection. I will become your help. I will become your Lord. I will become your God. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We're going to deal with that in, over the next... That's, that's one of the key sentences, actually, in the whole of the life of Abraham. But it's God engaging with the world. It's saying, how am I, a God who is not visible, how am I going to channel my engagement and my blessing on this world? The way I'm going to do it, is I'm going, to, I'm going to create a people. A people who will be my instrument of blessing. A people who will radiate my blessing into the world. They will be my conduit for engaging. And therefore, if anybody attacks my blessing, I will stand against them. And anyone who holds on to my blessing, I will bless them. Because I am a God who wants to bless this world. In my way. It's what God is saying through that remarkable little phrase. And we will come back to that and again and again. But as we look at that, firstly we see it is a significant moment in history because God speaks in a remarkable way. Secondly, we ask Abraham, or Abraham, we ask Abraham to do the impossible. To leave the security of the family to leave the security of Ur or Haran, to leave real buildings with real bricks, with real drainage, with real protection, and to go and live in a tent. A good few years ago, I was put off tent, I was put off camping forever. 
talking to somebody about this last week. Get up in the morning and your kind of neck is twisted over because you've rolled against the tent in an awkward way because the airbed has gone down. Is anybody into your, about to go camping for the first time? You might want to do this. And you, can, you get up in the morning and you say, I'm going to make myself a coffee. So you go into the, into the bigger part of the tent, which has a table, which is like that, on a slope. You put your cup down. What's that all about? Pour the water into it. You get about that much coffee because it laps over the side because it's on a tilt. So I'm holding the cup between my knees with coffee in it trying to pour boiling water into the cup. I don't want to do that. I'm kind of thinking, what am I doing here? I want to go home. I want to put my cup on a level surface. I want to put instant coffee in. I want to pour hot water in. And it doesn't spill on my knees. That's just a holiday. Abraham is called to leave the comforts of the, dom- of the domesticated modern world as was known at that point in time and to live in a tent. That is massive. And God says, I'll be your security. This wasn't about camping. This was about the potential of being in a tent and being attacked by any ravaging nomads. That's what he was called to do. And God says, I'll be your security. And then he says, I'll make you a great nation. Those of you who were here last time, you would remember, Sarai can't have children. His only wife can't have children. And God says, I'll make you a great nation. In other words, Abraham, don't rely on terror as your hope. Rely on your family as your hope. Well, the reality is that Sarai can't have children. There's the impossible. Believe in the impossible, God is saying. You know, I think that every, for every one of us, and for every generation, God at some point calls us to believe the impossible. He challenges our thinking. He challenges what we believe for today. The things that we hold on to for today. The securities that we hold on to. And he says stop holding on to the security of the world that you live in. Which you think is so secure. And start believing in my world. And in my way. The New Testament describes it again and again. That we end up becoming like strangers and aliens to this world. What does that mean? It means that we are no longer holding on to this world as our security. This world and everything that it presents. Because the reality is, the things that we hold on to now, we have to accept that some of the things that we hold on to now with such a passion, things that we think are so true, so real, so important, in another hundred years people will look back on this generation and think, weren't they stupid? That's the way it will be. That is the way it will be. We hold on to things so desperately. We're so convinced of them. And yet generations to come will think that we are naive and childlike. Let me give you two examples. No, one example. I'll give you just one example. 100 years ago. Marijuana, heroin and morphine 
were all available over the counter at um, drugstores. One pharmacist actually said, heroin clears the complexion, gives buoyancy to the mind, regulates the stomach and the bowels, and is, in fact, a perfect guardian of health. That would not go down well, would it, today? I just, you know, I just want to sell some heroin from my newsagents, if that's okay, because it is just a great medicine. That is naive. But yet, that generation held on to it, believed in it, were convinced of it. And generations to come look back and think, how naive, how stupid. Isn't it possible, therefore, that some of the things that we think are so foundational, so absolute, so fixed, so real, maybe in time God will show, we might not realize that God is showing it, but God will show that it ain't so stable as we thought it is. Now, I want you to just think in your mind, am I going to measure the instabilities and the changing perspectives of humanity against the timeless, timeless, consistent plodding of the footsteps of God through this world. Which one are we going to rely on? Because Abraham was called at this point in time to believe the impossible. And he believed it. Because he believed that God was more than this world. At some point... We are all going to have to do that if we are going to really come to know and to put our faith in him. We are all going to be called to reach the point where we say, I'm going to give myself in faith to that God more than everything that I believe in myself. You are going to face that at some point in time. Now, which are we going to believe? Abraham believed God. Now, as we see this developing, we actually see that that belief, and here's the next practical input for us today, that belief was not just a head knowledge. Abraham goes. He leaves Haran. He sets up, I don't know whether Abraham just went into the marketplace and bought tents. He lived in a city. A fairly major city. He lived with bricks and mortar around him. We can can still see the uh, excavations of this city. They've been discovered. We can see the kind of place where he lived. He would have left that and gone into the marketplace, bought some tents and headed out into the wilderness. And he is now in Canaan. The land, as we see, that God says he is going to give to him. Verse 6, we see, Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and, Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he travels elsewhere and he goes off to Bethel and he goes to Ai and he makes more altars. What's he doing? Abraham is effectively saying, I believe God. 
And I believe him so much that I am going to make a physical statement. I am going to make a real statement of my belief that God is going to give us this land. And we don't need to, for, we're going to see how this story unfolds. We don't need to believe in land anymore. But we do need to believe that God is making a claim to the lives that we live so that it will have practical implications. I'm going to stake out my life so that these issues and these issues and these issues are marked with a commitment to God in this life. That's what Abraham is effectively doing. He's saying, I believe God, and it's becoming physical. It's becoming real. I believe this land. Now, God is saying to you and to me, he doesn't say go and possess Castleford or go and possess Yorkshire or, or, or even England. He doesn't say that kind of thing. He says, worship today is by spirit. Worship today is about the, the creation of a new kind of kingdom. But that kingdom has real practical outworking." And Abraham was saying at this point in time, as I live my life as a believer in this God, I am making a statement that is physical. I'm living it out. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk over there and put an altar there. I'm going to walk over there. This isn't just a, a Sunday afternoon amble. It's months of travel to say, here is the land that God is stating and declaring is mine for the future. When, I, when my wife can't even have children. And that's going to become a key, a key element to the story. Now, maybe for us, maybe there are parts of our life which don't have those statements of God's engagement marked in them. Maybe there are parts of our life where we know, I, I'm, I'm happy to be a believer in God in, in this area, but you know what? I don't want it to stray into that area. I don't want to mark my commitment to God in that area and in that area and in that area. And Abraham is a great challenge to us who says this. If we are a believer in God, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is not good enough for us to say, I'll just believe it in here. It has to outwork. It has to become a part of our, our commitment in our activity, in our belief, in our day-to-day -day statement of who I am. Why did he do that? I don't know what the Canaanites thought. This strange little family that's just wandered into the field over there. And now he's, what's he doing? He's picking up some stones and building a, an altar. And now sacrificing, which would be common to pretty much most of the people of the day. What, why is he making a sacrifice over there? And he'd hang around for a while. And then a few weeks later, the family's gone. But he appears hundreds of miles away and builds another, builds another altar. What's he doing? He's making a statement in his life. He's living his life in the light of the belief of what God says. He's making it his life purpose to express that belief. And that has got to be what we are called to do today. And we do it in all sorts of ways. And there are times when that looks strange. There are times when that looks strange. Not, 
may be quite as strange as building a pile of stones in a field, but then that wouldn't have been quite so unusual to sacrifice in that day. But certainly, we are called to do things which are surprising. And maybe God is calling you to do something which is surprising. Something which is an absolute statement in my life which says, I am living differently than all of the security that this world has to offer. I am placing my hope, I am placing my confidence in the God who says, I will be your Lord. I will be your God, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you final thing that we see is that this blessing is not just for Abraham, it's for all of us. This is why we are here today. We read in the, towards the end of this section that we've just read, to your offspring I, give, I will give this land. Now Abraham at that point in time read it in a particular way. He understood God and he understood that the promise was that God was going to give the land to his people. A people who he couldn't even understand how it could work out. But later on, much later on, Paul understands it differently. There's a new perspective that has opened up. A new way of seeing those very words. In Galatians we read this. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Read In Galatians, where it says seed, read offspring. Offspring, seed, it's the same word. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his offspring. Scripture does not say to his offsprings, meaning many people, but to his offspring, meaning one person who is Christ. This, at this point in time, as we read something 2,000 years before Jesus, we read about Jesus here. Paul says, this promise wasn't all about a people. This promise was about Jesus. I'm going to give this land to your offspring, Jesus. In other words, the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring is going to be a kingdom which has found its root in promises two millennia earlier. He's going to deliver a kingdom. It's going to be marked as a holy kingdom, not because it's geographical, but because it has the boundaries that God sets. And boundaries which, by grace, we would say, We're part of that kingdom. Are we part of the kingdom of Jesus? Is the kingdom marked by sacrifice? Are the boundaries of the kingdom marked by sacrifice? In fact, is the very foundation of the kingdom that Jesus establishes based on sacrifice? That's what the kingdom that, or the land that Abraham first established was based on but it becomes remarkably big an offspring in Christ where his sacrifice secures a whole new people a people which means that when we believe in that God when we find hope in that God 
when we find comfort that that sacrifice has been accepted because of that God, we realize that it's been him planting the footsteps right the way through time, all the way along. It's been him preparing the way. It's been him who is saying to you and me today, you might be called to do things which seem strange, but I've gone before you. I'm there. I'm already there. Don't fear. Do we trust him? Because that's really the question, isn't it? Or do we decide, actually, do you know what? Canaan, Haran, bricks and mortar, or an animal skin tent? Which is it going to be? Where's our trust? 